0: Hello everyone, welcome to the first ever Four Lads Had A Dream podcast. I am your host, my name is Stephen Clifford. I'm delighted tonight to welcome Evening Times Herald and Sunday Herald Group senior sports writer Chris Jack. Chris, thanks for joining us. How are you tonight? Hi, Stevie. All good, thanks. And also delighted to be able to welcome former Northern Ireland and Rangers star, Andrew Little. Andy, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Massive thank you to both the boys for joining us. This is the first time that um, we've ever done this. I have been fortunate to have the help of the guys from the Net podcast. Um, so we decided to do this for the first time and what we're going to do first is we're going to talk to Andy, do a wee bit of reminiscing about his career and his time at Rangers and then we'll go on, we'll talk about the season ahead, Stephen Gerrard, what's happened, um, signings, rumours, what we think will happen in the summer and then we'll be joined by um, Willie Irvin who some of you might know from Twitter is and Bear who does a brilliant job with youth updates He is currently at a youth game, which will not surprise any of you who know him. Um, He's at the under-18s. I think they're playing Patrick Fistle tonight. So he will join us later in the show. We'll get a wee update from him. He's obviously buzzing after the um, development side beat Celtic 2-0 yesterday. So he's got um, plenty of insight into what's going on in the youth development department. But before we get to that, we're going to talk a wee bit about Andy Little. Um, Andy, as you know... um, is an SPL winner with Rangers in two thousand nine-two thousand and ten. He won the uh, third division, SFL in also in two thousand and twelve, twenty thirteen, and the old second division in thirteen and fourteen. He joined Rangers back in two thousand and six from Ballinamillard United. I'm sure Andy will correct me in that. I hope that's correct. Um, and went to make his senior debut in the Scottish Cup final. Um the semi final in two thousand and nine as a sub and a three 0 win. Andy, what was it like um making that move to Rangers at such a young age and then pulling on the 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 light blues for your
1: boy who It was it was all all a bit of a dream really. It was it all happened very, very quickly, certainly the the joining the club and signing for the club. Uh I'd been doing quite well for my local team, which you brilliantly pronounced there, Ballina Mallard. <laughs> I've been there since I was eight years old and I, I was spotted playing for, uh, for them and, and also playing for Northern Ireland under-17s. I was, I was 16 and Ian Durant and Bomber Brown watched me play in um, various different competitions and I finally got a chance to come over for a week-long trial and basically on the Friday, uh, uh, the head of youth at the time offered me a two-year a two-year contract, and um, that was me. I moved over a few weeks later. It was all pretty daunting, um, but total dream come true. And um, basically, from that point onwards, I think I just continually achieved in, in, in my own in my own you know, what I thought I was capable. I think I just I kept achieving more than I ever thought I would. Really, at the club, and um, it was you know it was the best time of my life. It was it was amazing, and I loved every minute of it.
0: You touched on it a wee bit there. Um obviously you were watched by Ian Durant and um John Brown. What was it like um for somebody like Ian Durant, And even John Brown, two nine in a row heroes, obviously they would have been guys that you would have watched presumably growing up and things like that. What was it like to be courted and to be kind of chased and having them wanting you to sign for, for Rangers? Yeah,
1: I mean it was it was more just the name that, you know, Rangers that when I found out they were interested, and this isn't, this isn't a story I've made up, I, I genuinely thought, um, I think it was my mum mentioned it to me, I had exams at the time, and she said, we, we just wanted to let you know that Rangers are interested in signing you. And, and I genuinely thought it was Enniskillen Rangers, um, who are the town that I'm from, and they had just sold their pitch to Tesco's. Um, Tesco's had just bought the land, and they had like a million pound in the bank, and they were starting to play pay local players to to play for them and I genuinely thought that's that's what she meant and then I found out it was Glasgow Rangers and from then it was I met people like John Gregg and I met people like Sandy Jordan, and I, I was I was a I always leaned towards Rangers I always had a liking for Rangers but I was a I was a Man United fan I followed the English Premiership a lot more um and if I'm honest, I didn't know John Gregg or Sandy Jordan. I didn't know who they were, but it was just as I became a massive fan and as I fell in love with the club. I suppose I realised how big these these boys actually were and how you know incredible um, Rangers players they were in their own regard and absolute legends of the club that they were. But they spoke to me like like they would speak to absolutely anybody, and um, yeah, it was pretty amazing to meet to you know have the likes of Ian John coaching you when I went over. Uh, John Brown scout scouting me. Um one of the first men I meet is, is John Gregg. Sandy Jordan showed me around um little guy in Bears Den trying to find me a flat. I was just driving around the car with him and I genuinely didn't understand how big of a legend these these guys were.
0: I think that's what makes Rangers such a such a great club when you when you say stories and, and you hear stories like that from yourself from these these legends that just go out of their way to help young guys like yourself I think that's what it makes it. what makes strangers everybody talks about like a so tiny Gallagher and things and what a massive family club it is I take it you found that way right from the very start of you joining up
1: yeah I, like it I probably grew it, well it, it definitely grew you know immediately I didn't I didn't realise that I, I was surprised when I realised who these people were um, some of them I knew of obviously um, you know there's some of the big names in the first team at the time I knew of them because I watched I always watched Old Firm games when they came around and I always had a liking for Rangers. My brother was a, was a fan of Rangers, but I was, I was always just leaning towards Rangers. I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a, a real avid fan who knew all about these players. And um, So, yeah, I think, I think my love for the club just grew and grew. And, uh, yeah, there's no doubt it's, that's the kind of club it is, the kind of club that you've got total legends of the game, um, but they're the, they're the most down-to-earth, genuine people. And they just want to help you. And it doesn't matter, um, you know, the likes of Tiny, for example. You think of the names that she has had come through her, you know, through the, the cafeteria at, 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 the, at the stadium is where she worked. And obviously then we trained out in, um, in Ochenhowie. But she, she, she looked after us every match day. And I found it amazing to think that she knew my name and she talked to me just the same way she would have talked to your McCoysts and your Loudrops and all these guys.
0: From that, you had um, you had some success with the youth side beating Celtic to with to win the, the youth trophy before making your first start at right back versus Celtic. Now there was a wee bit of I always remember watching you. I watched a lot of the youth at that time, and there was a wee bit of of kind of doubt about was Andy Little a right back? Was he a right winger? Was he a striker? Before finally, obviously, we settled as a striker in the long term. But how was it, Andy, starting at right back in that game? Because I remember getting to the stadium that day and, and being shocked, and that's no disrespect, but I always thought you were a striker. In your mind, where did you see yourself, and, and how was it? How big a, you know, what was it like to be thrown into that kind of game for your first start? Yeah, I mean, I was I was always a striker. I, I, I
1: played my two years at, at youth team level as a striker, but if I'm honest, I wasn't doing very well. I wasn't playing regularly. I wasn't getting many starts. And uh, I was on my way out. There's no doubt about that. I, my contract was was running out, and and my I was going to leave the club. And actually, the as you touched on, we we had a very very successful youth team. We won the double double league and cup double. We beat Celtic two times in or two years in a row in the final. Um, I managed to score in the in the in the second year in the final as a striker. But at that time, um, I was leaving the club, and 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 it was Tommy Wilson who, who played me at right back in a couple of games. Just. I think it was more or less filling in, and um, they knew I could run. They knew I had good fitness, good pace. Um, they just didn't think it was technically good enough to be a striker. I think, and they thought they'd try me somewhere different. And um, again, I, you know, it's a name drop, but it's something that means an awful lot to me. It was Sandy Jordan who who watched me, um, along with Tommy Wilson. And both both of them were right backs in their own when they when they, in their own careers, and, and they mentioned to to um, to the head of youth, and I am assuming the, the gaffer himself, uh, Walter Smith. Basically, to say, give give him another year, let him let him stay on as a right back. So I had played at right back. I played a lot of reserve games, um, and then that that debut came the following season. I think. Um, sorry, I know that my debut came the following season as a striker again, um, and then the following year again, Walter Smith had involved me in the first team um, in training, and but I was I was jumping around positions. Um, it's fair to say I was I was basically training and playing for the reserves as a right back for Rangers. And then I would go away with Northern Ireland and let play as a striker. Um, so it was all a bit mad, but yeah, I mean, I can't describe to you the feeling um, whenever I saw my name, we only find out about an hour and a half before kickoff. That's the way it always was under Walter Smith, 90 minutes. He never let you, never let you know the day before. You never knew it was always be ready, be prepared, be ready for the game you might be starting sort of thing and um, he threw me in it right back and it was a total nightmare for me I, I tore my hamstring after about three seconds um, it was a basically I think Celtic kind of thought look at this I think it was 19 maybe 20 19 or 20 and it's like you know I threw throw the first ball down his throat and see how, so see how he does and I ended up feeling something and, and I hobbled about I tried to get through it and I played on for 12 minutes but that was that was just the sort of start I suppose of what was a stupidly roller coaster time and career, I suppose, at Rangers. I had so many ups, so many amazing experiences that I'll remember for the rest of my life, but I had an incredible amount of downers that were just, you know, you, you make your first start in an old firm game and you're dragged off after 12 minutes and you've torn your hamstring. Uh, it doesn't get much worse than that.
0: Yeah, I suppose it goes from the very highs to the very the very lows in, in, in a quick, in a quick um, time, but... We will touch on the injuries because, as you said, you were incredibly unlucky. Some some horrific injuries, which we'll we'll get to. But I want to talk a wee bit about your first goal, which came on the 23rd of January 2010 against Hearts. at Ibrox Rangers were one 0 down, um, chasing the title. And I remember at the time you came on, and there was a wee bit of there was a wee, the crowd were a wee bit on the management back. And I remember when you equalised, McCoy gave them gave the enclosure a wee bit of stick. But um, I suppose you know that us as his fans were never never really the most patient but as a young lad scoring your first goal and it turned out to be a really important goal at the time as well um, how did that feel? Yeah it was
1: it was unreal you, you dream of that you dream of getting your first goal and for it to happen at Ibrox and, and, a, and a goal that really mattered I suppose um, I think again I don't know how it always seemed to be in the big the big moments that had family had family in the stadium and that always meant an awful lot to me I think my brother was there watching um, so yeah just a a class experience to something I probably this is what I keep saying I kept sort of surpassing what I thought I was capable of I always thought I didn't think it was good enough for my first two years and then I started to get a chance Walter Smith took a shine into me give me a chance and things just started to happen to me that I never ever thought would happen And um, but funny funny thing about that is that <laughs> that although he maybe was cheering or giving stick to the fans whatever it might have been he didn't have a clue who'd scored it and he actually had to ask in the change room after the game <laughs> who, who, who scored that goal and I sort of sheepishly, almost embarrassed, put my hand up um, and he was... <laughs> so it was... It was um, you know, I think I kind of did come in a wee bit under the radar and, and, and got my chance in the first team.
0: You went on to make um, 10 appearances in that season um, and, and began, obviously, to, to show more of what you were capable of. You scored... On the twenty seventh of October two thousand ten at Kumala in the League Cup, you scored one of the best goals I've ever seen. I remember it vividly, it was my twenty seventh birthday. Um I'm I'm assuming that's got to be right up there with the best goals you've ever scored.
1: Yeah. <laughs> There's one that, that I love to talk about, and I'm very very proud of, and people remind me of, and it's my Twitter Twitter profile picture, and, and we know well, maybe don't know what goal that is, but that was a, a goal against Celtic, which is probably the best goal of my career because it was something that again never ever believed would happen to me, um, but yeah, that 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 goal at, at Rugby Park was a bit a bit outrageous. It was kind of the way that a lot of the coaches summed me up. They said we just had don't have a clue what you're going to do next, <laughs> and um. Sometimes it was awful and sometimes it was pretty good. And that was one of the pretty good ones. And um, I remember it really, really well. I've watched it a few times, I can say. And thank God I scored it is all I would say because, um, and I was told that at halftime by the gaffer, by Walter Smith. He said in in flowery, flowery language, uh just as well you scored that one because you were coming off because <laughs> I hadn't done very much in the game. Uh, it just sat up nicely and I, I whacked it and went, went, went by Cammie and into the far top top left-hand corner.
0: If anyone hasn't seen that goal, I would thoroughly recommend you to go on and it's available on YouTube. Just type it in Andy Little goal versus Kilmarnock in the League Cup. It really is spectacular. Shades, I would say, of Van Basten and I know our friend Tom Miller um, rates it as one of the best goals he's ever seen, so that's certainly high praise indeed. But moving on from that, Andy, you had um, again, you had difficult kind of injury problems. You went to Port Vale on loan and then came back to Rangers. By this time, Ali McCoy was in charge. We, we know inevitably what's coming, but um, Ali was, was more or less adamant you were a striker and by then you were playing there as a striker and pitched you back in straight away and you scored um, up at Inverness in a 4-1 win. That obviously leads us on to Obviously, what we talked about your goal against Celtic. Um, at that point, you know Rangers were under a bit of a cloud, which obviously administration and things like that. How was it for you as a player to be kind of pitched into that that scenario? And, and obviously, with a legend like McCoist and things like that managing the team at the time, how how difficult was it to perform in those sort of situations?
1: Yeah, that,
0: that was just a bonkers time for me.
1: Um, as you touched on, McCoyst really did give me a chance he filled me full of confidence he told me I was a striker he he was brilliant with me he he really really made me believe and, and and taught me an awful lot in terms of trying to pick up the right positions and trying to get on the goal score and you know sorry get on the goal uh score sheet I should say trying to get on the score sheet and he was really 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 you know brilliant with me um all of this amazing stuff, i.e., uh, getting getting starts in games and playing in in the top league, you know, and, and playing with big names, Steve Davis, Kyle Lafferty, led like you know players that to me were um, above my level, you know. Not to mention so many big names and that you know, around that time, Davy Weir and um, well, oh, I could list the whole team. a Very, very, very successful team for me to get a chance in that team and to play regularly uh, as I did, sort of for the last. Three or four months at, at the time, but also for that to be at a time of administration, which is just one of the worst periods, you know, in, in the long history of the club, um, was was just really mixed emotions, obviously. It was, you know, one week I was celebrating, I scored against Inverness, I got first man in the match, I got a couple against Hearts, I scored the goal against Celtic, I scored against St Mirren at Ibrox, and these were amazing things for me to happen, but then. You know, it was a total circus every week in training. You we were coming in and there was forty forty press people at the gates. They were taking a photograph. You know, the cameras were right up against the against the car, the flash 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 were on. It was just a weird, weird and you just didn't have a clue. We were having meetings every single day about um about pay cuts and about contracts and about all these business terms that we didn't have a clue about. Um so, yeah, as, as a squad, it was a really tough time. And for all Rangers fans, it's a, it's a time you'd like to f- forget about. But for me, it coincided, just as the following season did, in the, in the bottom tier, it coincided with my most successful time at the club. Um, so I don't like to, well, I do like to celebrate it because it's good for me personally, but I understand that it came um, just at a really, really hard time for the club
0: undoubtedly that it, it was a hard time for the for the fans but um you're quite right I mean what you achieved at that time and under McCoist, um you know you did you, you made the breakthrough at that time um we were we were going through the mill at that point but let's go back um, and talk about your goal versus Celtic 69th minute you came on and a minute later the ball was in the net and I always loved there was a famous thing on Twitter that you'd done and um you know Celtic fans were like who who is this guy who is Andy little?" and the picture you posted with the wee arrow saying that's me as you put the ball in the net was fantastic. I'm assuming, well, you've already said that was your favourite goal, but talk us through that, a goal against Celtic that, that stops them basically winning the league at Ibrox, and it really has to be up there.
1: Yeah, uh, again, another one of these things, I was sitting on the bench and we were 1-0 one nil, one nil up, I um, can't remember, uh, Sonny Aluko, great goal, Sonny Aluko scored a great goal, put us one nil up, and then it was just getting a wee bit nervy. But the big thing about that day was obviously the Celtic could win the league. They could win the league at Ibrox, and that's just that's just not going to happen. As a as a Rangers player, we players we knew that we, we couldn't allow that to happen. I suppose um, there was a real fiery atmosphere, and it's nothing like it. I've I've played in three of the three old firms, but I've never experienced anything like that day. And it was just really raw emotion of all the horrible horrible stuff that was going on I think it'd been about six weeks of it maybe at that point um of just of just negative 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 um sort of stuff for the club and it was just a, a real party party day for the for the fans um but yeah it was again I just another thing that I never ever expected would, would, would happen to me and um and it did and I was just lucky enough to be, you know, maybe it was maybe it was down down Dally McCoyston and, and, and he told me to be in those kind of areas and pick up pick up the, the six yarders, pick up the ins, and they count as much as any and um once again, just so so, so fortunate because my, my whole my whole family were there to us. There was always someone at games. My dad would come over regularly on the on the Stenna line as so many of the boys do. And my dad would, would do that regularly on Saturdays, but only only every so often would my whole family come, and they were all there for that game, um, just on the off chance because they knew they knew I was getting involved. Um, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll take that one to the to, to my grave. And yeah, I'm not one for. I don't like to, whatever, whatever that was. <laughs> I got that that comment on Twitter, um, but I felt like it was a good time just to shut, shut one of them up and, and tell them um, you may not know me, but
0: this is what I did to you. Yeah, I think it's fair to say it was a, a brilliant, brilliant response on Twitter. But moving on, that interesting that you, you talk about Ali McCoys because Ali McCoys for me will will always be a Rangers legend, and I feel strongly that a, a guy that was in the wrong the wrong place you know basically as as manager he just he didn't get the crack of the whip because under under white obviously the summer before the transfers that we didn't get and things like that it was clear that he was he was being led down the garden path and there's been a lot of criticism for Ali about about things but how was Ali with you obviously before we we go on and we'll we'll talk about the third division and and things like that but what was it like to be training with, with Ali and how do you think he he was at Rangers as manager, and uh, particularly with you as, as training and things like that? What kind of what would you say about Ali McCoy? I'd say
1: he's an absolute legend of the club. He was he was a uh, someone who you look at his stats and you look at what he did when he played at the club, and you, it's, it's like watching Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. I I wasn't around. I wasn't old enough to to watch him play, but um, to to achieve what he did, and then to come back um, under Walter Smith initially, and 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 having followed like you know the Paulie Gwen came in for six or seven months, and it was it wasn't going well, and and between Walter Smith and Ali McCoist and Kenny McDowell, they completely turned it turned everything around, and we had three or four I think it was years of of real success under those under that team. And my honest opinion of Ali McCoy, he, he was brilliant with me. Um, he may have. It may have been his decision for me to leave the club in the end up, but he was absolutely brilliant and he gave me plenty of opportunities. He filled me with confidence. Um, he, in my opinion, he, he this is just my opinion. I think he's an assistant, he's a coach because he was so bubbly, he was so positive every single day. Um, but you know, maybe, maybe you know, I feel like his, his best role at a football club is, is, is like that is the assistant, he's the positive one every single day, but sometimes managers have to be. Have to be harsh and have to be strong with players. Um and it was just difficult maybe for him to fulfil both of those roles. Um but at the same time I think the the task he had was just to follow in the footsteps of, of Walter Smith um was 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 almost impossible. And then for, for what happened to the to the club to happen and then to have to try and do what he had to try and do in the third division and the second division, it was completely unprecedented. No no manager had ever done anything like that at Rangers. Um and if we if we go on to chat about that, you know, I don't think he could have done much more. He 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 really kept the club going and kept the positivity. And there's no doubt that forty odd thousand season tickets were sold because Ali McCoy was the manager and people wanted to come and see, just like we have nowadays with Stephen Jarrett being there, people want to come and see these legends of the game. And I don't think anybody else, literally I don't think any other figure could have done what he did to keep the club going and keep the, the positivity and keep the numbers and the numbers coming through the gates every Saturday and that's what he did.
0: I agree. When it comes to Ali McCoy, as I said, I think he gets a lot of criticism and he did make mistakes. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Everybody does. But as you said, he was a young man, um, inexperienced in terms of management. And perhaps you're right. Um, as an assistant manager with Scotland and, and with Rangers, he was he was hugely successful. But that does lead us kind of nicely on to the, the third division. And again, in a, in a weird time for the club, you've touched on this before, it was hugely successful for yourself personally, Team of the Year. Um, first choice number nine striker. Um, how how much pressure was there on the club um, going into these games against the, the, the kind of lower teams where we were? Expect- Let's be honest, we were expected to, to beat these teams easily every week. Um, how was it in the third division as an experience for you as a Rangers player, expecting to win every week comfortably? And then obviously your own personal accolades of the goals and Team of the Year, etc. How
1: did you find it all? I think it suited me down to the ground. I don't think it suited every player that was in the squad, if I'm honest. And I think that's why we per- we performed very poorly in certain games. But I also think it was it was just so difficult. I, I'd been to loads of these grounds and playing in the reserve games. So I wasn't phased by it. I knew what to expect. And so did a lot of the young players that were coming through. Lewis McLeod's, um, you know, some really, really good young players that were at the club. We knew what to expect. We also knew what was expected of us, and I think some of the signings that came in didn't. Um, <clears throat> and I don't like to, you know, I certainly wouldn't name names. I don't like to speak up like that of of former teammates, but I think that was our problem at times. It was our attitude. We didn't, we didn't um, fully commit to games, and we didn't fully understand that every single week we were playing against players who were. It was the, not just like you know players come to diebrox in the scottish premiership or whatever it might be when it's a big game and they get a bit of hospitality and they bring their friends and family. This was a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of players in Scotland to get the opportunity to come to diebrox or to have 4000 rangers fans come to their wee ground and this was a great chance to you know for a scalp and that's what they did. You know there's some awful results but at the same time it was never ever going to be easy and I think even the team that that the, the good squad that there is there now would struggle um to cope with some with those away game after away game at terrible grounds, terrible pitches when when teams just try their absolute all. So um yeah, for, for, for me it was a good a good time and I, and I think it suited me because I knew I knew what was
0: expected. Um,
1: but I just don't think every player knew what was expected of them.
0: So having asked Andy all that, Chris obviously um as a, a full time writer, he's got some things to ask Andy um, Chris, you wanted to ask Andy obviously about his time at Rangers.
2: Andy, what do you recall from that one? Honestly, a, a good season on the pitch in terms of going unbeaten through the league campaign, but a disappointing end to it for yourself on a personal level?
1: Yeah, it was it was um League One was, you know, the next the next step um to get him back up there. I think again um it was it was slightly better performances, slightly better pitches, slightly better grinds, everything sort of suited us a wee bit better. Um for me it was it was a decent season I had a couple of injuries again though. Um you know, the cheekbone was a, the cheekbone in my jaw, that was a bad one the eye socket, all all in a wonder, one night at IBROX, and that really that put a big dent in my my season. Um but it was yeah, it was just another year of the circus of playing these lower league pitches and stadiums and um, I think at that point we just all couldn't wait to get back up the leagues really
2: I think for the guys that are going covering those games there was a feeling that the third division campaign was always going to be interesting because you're going to these places for the first time and there was always something kind of new the championship season was set up to be the one where Rangers then potentially try and get back into Premier League. The the League One campaign always really seemed to be the slog one because it was just another small step. It was very much the same as the third division, but not quite as as exciting as the championship. Was that kind of feeling amongst the squad that was the, was a League One campaign perhaps the hardest one to get yourself up for in my respect?
1: Yeah, possibly. Well, you know, um, not for me. Uh, not for me at all. I was, I was buzzing. Absolutely the best season, most successful season of my career in the third division coming up, and, and I was just buzzing to get going again. But I can understand exactly what you mean, and maybe there was a slight bit of that where we were all like jeez we've had we've had enough of this we've already had one year and uh you know next year will be better um but let's just get this one out of the way but um yeah it was it was just another year of you've pretty much nailed but you know you've you've nailed it there in the in the fact that the first year was was interesting everyone was wanted a piece of it. everyone wanted to know what was going on and everyone wanted a scalp second year was the same again, but everyone was just getting a bit bored of it. <laughs> and then the third the third year in, in the Championship was actually, as proved to be, you know, it wasn't plain sailing. It was entertaining for a neutral. And it was a tough enough league to get out of. And clearly, you know, it didn't happen. So I think that that League One season was just a, a year to just get out of the way and get on with
2: it. I touched on the injury that you picked up there. How tough was that to, obviously, to suffer it? But especially when you're in such fine form and having missed so many games must have been really tough for you. Yeah. I
1: do feel like it's maybe the reason why I was why why I ended up leaving that end that season, and I don't mean that like as if it was just unluckiest, but if you you know I had, I had John Daly was coming into the team, Icky Clark was was doing well at that point, Dean Shields was doing well, David Templeton had signed. There was a lot of like sort of attacking minded players who were getting in in front of me, and I had gone from being the number one man, the main man, getting you know, starting every week to. It was just a totally freak injury that kept me out for I think it was about eight weeks, um, right in the middle of my season, and that was that was difficult to re- recover from. Not just you know physically, but obviously mentally. Maybe it took me a wee while just to get my full aggression back, and I um, so it's one of those things. But I got I got I got used to
2: I got used to that kind of stuff happening to me. I uh, he unfortunately set you up for how the certain parts of the rest of the year was. Would- Pan out in terms of injuries in the mental side, so I think that that period actually stood you in good stead in many ways because it did give you that early taste of what it can be like to suffer an injury, to not be in the team, to have to, and to have to come back for these type of things.
1: Yeah, you, you, you get used to it and you, you start to learn how to how to react. I used to just go go quiet for about a week or two. I'd sit and play the PlayStation. I'd go into training. I wouldn't speak to anybody. Um, I, I I got better at. Uh, I got better at dealing with it. I got better at the process of coming back from an injury, but it, it didn't make it any easier. Definitely not. I was. I still struggled massively, um, and hence now that I've retired, I feel a lot more better
2: about myself. Obviously, you mentioned the guys that came in. Also, Nicky Clark was. He was in the team. John Daly in the team. Uh, Dean Shields and Templeton. Was that difficult for you during that summer to see these type of guys? Coming in and thinking, well, if they're coming in, they're on potentially bigger money. There, of course, the managers bringing them in, they potentially ahead of you in the in the pecking order. So there's, there's a lot of pressure on you right at the start of the season to really prove your worth again. Yeah,
1: I think so. But I mean, every every club gets that. Every club, every league. And if you think you can, you, you know, you can beat Glasgow Rangers, and you're not going to have competition for places. Um, you know, Alfredo Morelos is saying that right now, where he, he's missed a few games, and uh, Jermaine Defoe's come in and he's doing the business. So. It happens at every at every level, and um, I was just another one probably who had to had to quickly deal with that and come back and, and work harder.
2: And just in terms of when Ali McCoy's when the decision was made that you'd be you'd be moving on from the club, how, how difficult was that for you to obviously do do so well and then find out that you wouldn't be uh, kept on for that championship campaign?
1: Yeah, I was I was <laughs> just gutted, absolutely gutted. I, I didn't see it coming. I, I sort of got a wee sniff have had a feeling because I was left out of the squad. For the final game of the season which was Dunfermline um, even though I was back fit and I actually went and spoke to him on the Friday afternoon and I just said listen Gaffer if this is going to be my last uh, my last game my last trip I, I want to be involved because just because um, and he, he he sort of spun me a yarn and he says oh I didn't realise I didn't realise you were fully fit I, th- I thought you weren't quite ready and I'd trained all week so I, I just got a bit of a sniff that something was not right Um but thankfully he did, he brought me along and he put me on the last half an hour and I just had a feeling that was gonna be the last bit. And then it, uh, that was in the Saturday, I came in on the Tuesday at a meeting at three o'clock. I can remember it all so clearly and um yeah, it absolutely got it. Like I was I was emotional, I was absolutely in tears. I was I was just so happy at that time, I was so happy at the club, I didn't want to leave. Um I felt like I'd done my bit, I felt like I'd helped the club get back up and I was I was ready to kind of test myself at a higher level and or the level that you know, we we should have been playing at. So I there's there's no other way. But than I was just completely completely gutted. You know, he did explain to me. He says, "Listen, I was, I, I want to keep you, but um, my budget doesn't stretch, and I I need to, I, I need to bring. I've got a couple of players in mind, and the only the only sort of thing that I can accept is that those two players who eventually did sign were Chris Boyd and Kenny Miller. So you know, as a striker at Rangers, to be replaced by. The two players of that quality. Once I learned that, a couple of months later, I kind of went. Do you know what? That's <laughs> that's fair enough.
2: Just on a slightly different theme. Andy uh, Lee is even Times column this week talking about uh, Lee Wallace and the the fact that he's obviously potentially heading for the exit this summer. Also, not not played that much. It looks like he'll be leaving Rangers at the end of the season. And Lee was talking about how big a figure Lee Wallace was during those years and those difficult times for the club. I'm assuming you would echo his sentiments and just how, how big a figure he was and what a send-off he would deserve coming into the campaign.
1: Yeah, I, I hope he gets it. I definitely do. I think he's been a real stalwart. like I uh, really like him as a guy, a really true, like really, really top professional. Um, you know, I, I genuinely don't really know the ins and outs and I don't really want to get involved in it, but I, I just hope from a purely, um, purely from the fact that I think he deserves it, he deserves his chance to say goodbye to the fans if he is to move on. Um, he, he he was a brilliant servant of the club, he, and uh, yeah, I think Rangers do that well. Generally, they they, they honour their players, they honour they honour loyalty and and service, and they gen, generally do that really well. And it's something that makes me proud to be a Rangers man. And and I think Lee Wallace is you know definitely one of those people that should be be rewarded with that.
2: Was talking about how difficult he found it to, to walk out the, the front doors of Ibox the last time, knowing that the last time it would, it would be there as a Ranger. I'm assuming that similar feeling was there for yourself as well.
1: Yeah, we, we were told from day one in the youth team, and um, we were always told the, the day you drive out those blue gates, and that's the training ground for us. He says, You know, the day you, you, you drive out those blue gates, you'll regret it, or you'll wish you'd tried harder, you wish you did more, but. Um, I can honestly say I I, I I was in bits. I was totally caught up, and I knew it was the I knew it was the end. I knew I'd probably never ever ever be back in a in a playing capacity. So I was I was totally totally gutted. But um, I felt like I had done what they told us to do from from day one, which was give give your all and just that's the way it is, you know. All the all good things come to come to an end, and uh, once I'd sort of cried myself the whole way to Troon and got the ferry back to Northern Ireland for the summer, I was. Uh, I was okay
2: about it all. You've obviously been back a few times, or you're back fairly regularly now, doing your industry your work and your Rangers TV work, and obviously going as a fan as well. Do you still get that same buzz walking back through the front doors as as you always did?
1: Yeah, I, lo- I love it. I love feeling part of it, just like every fan does. I love feeling part of it. I love being able to say hello to people I know and um, feeling welcomed. And, um, yeah, I still get the buzz. There's no, no doubt about that. And, and obviously uh i feel I feel the pain and and i and I get upset and i get i get annoyed and I get frustrated by the team when they're not performing or they're not winning games but um the good time the good times are coming back there's no doubt about that I don't think and you know i'm, I'm enjoying what i'm you know in the large part I'm enjoying what I'm saying when i when I do wee bits of commentary and stuff for the club I'm enjoying the buzz that Stephen Jarrett's brought back to the to the club and uh you no, know, hopefully he stay he he stays on and, 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 and brings a bit of success.
0: Stevie here, else you want to chip in? The only last thing I would ask, Andy, is um what now for Andy Little retired in November 2018. What
1: what now? What what's next for you? Um I, to be honest, I've been busier now since I retired than I ever have been in the last twelve years of sort of professional and semi professional football. So um I'm basically working like uh, like everyone else I'm I'm really interested in property so I'm working in property kind of development work um and I'm I'm doing the, the as much media stuff as I can cuz I really really enjoy it I, I love getting getting along it's a good excuse to to get along and watch watch football and watch watch rangers especially um you know it's a, it's a good excuse to to when when I tell my girlfriend I'm going to football it's I don't have to say I'm going to watch football I'm going to work so <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing that and um the other wee thing that I'm trying it's it's a very slow process and it's frustrating if I'm honest is is I basically set up a football agency um pro revolution sports so me and a couple of lawyers basically Glasgow based lawyers have set it up and we're just trying our best now to to build up a bit of a reputation and and uh, look after some some young players I saw so many really really Talented young players just um, either piss it up, piss it up the wall, or 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 kind of not get the right advice and not get the help they needed when when they needed it. So uh, I'm quite quite keen to push that on a bit.
0: Andy, thanks very much, mate. Um, so that was a great insight into Andy Little's time at Rangers. Um, we're now going to move on and talk about uh, the season so far. Obviously, we haven't had the silverware which we craved, and um, there's been. There's been some almighty highs with Europe and some, some lows with um, some poor league results. Um, in, my, my, in my opinion, we're definitely on the right tracks. We're definitely getting there. It is a, a slow process, but if we're patient, I firmly believe that um, good things are coming to the club. Chris,
2: how do you see
0: uh, the season so far and, and have your expectations
2: been met? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. There's, I think the, the expectation of Stephen Gerrard as a guy to deal with and how, he, in terms of how he carries himself, that's certainly been met. In terms of the improvement in the team, that's almost certainly been met. I thought Rangers could have been slightly better in certain aspects and have been. In terms of silverware, I don't think we can say that has been met. I expect these Rangers to not win the league, but certainly... Challenge a bit longer than they perhaps have done for the league um, and I expected them to win more of the Cups as well and also the, the two results against Aberdeen will go down as two of the most frustrating that Stephens uh, suffered this term but I think he's he's been asked a few times in the last few weeks in terms of the, the progress and the perceived pro, uh, progress the league table might not show it that much uh, but I think if you look at where the club are where the squad are and the kind of general feeling round about the training ground and round about the stadium and amongst the fans. I think there's, there's certainly been uh, plenty of positives there. There's certainly been a bit of progress there. Um, and there's, there's certainly a foundation there for Rangers to try and uh, build on for next season now.
0: What about yourself, Andy? Obviously, Chris has spoke about the foundations
2: and things like that.
0: And obviously, I don't think this summer we need the massive squad rebuild that we needed last time, last term, certainly. But... What do you? Where would you categorise this season into uh, so far in terms of, of what's been achieved and 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 where we are? I think it was
1: <laughs>
0: it was it was almost, but just not enough.
1: Um, you know, you look at you look at where we where the club sat. You know, the 29th of December after after that that great win against Celtic, they're you know, level on points, and it just seemed like that that um, winter break just knocked the stuffing out of the team for whatever reason. Um, per, form has been really, really poor these last three months. But even when I looked, I looked a wee bit earlier on, I was looking at sort of the games I'd done with Rangers TV and I think it was the uh, Dundee, Rangers at home to Dundee, 27th of February. And um, at that point, they'd, they'd basically gone on a run of 5-0 against Ham- Hamilton away, 5-0 against Kilmarnock away, I oh, sorry, at home. And then they went on that night, I think, to win 4-0. Or, and, and it was just the sort of things that we were that you know the manager was saying everything was positive at that point and that was the very very end of February. So at that point um it was still it was still everything was still within within Ranger's grasp. Um the Scottish Cup was still there to be won and and the league was still still there to be fought for. And it just seemed like March um was a was the month that the wheels fell off. Um it was it was just a shocking month for the club, big games big games that really mattered you know was Celtic kilmarnock aberdeen hibs uh, away in that friday night game and so yeah i think the season generally was just uh you know so, so close but but when it mattered um post post the post the winter break and also the that, that month of march um something just didn't have, something just didn't click you know the 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 players didn't find the right answers or Whatever it was at the time, and um, generally, I think Stephen Jared's been, as as Chris touched on, he's been awesome because it takes a lot to be a Rangers manager. It's not just getting the team out to win; it's managing everything around it and dealing with the press, <laughs> and and that's probably the, one of the biggest jobs. And I think he's been he's sort of done that impeccably. He said all the right things, and um, yeah, he's, he's been a real positive, definitely, since he's come to the club.
0: The last two performances have been good. We've seen Hearts um, beating easily. Ibrook's 3-0 went to Motherwell, which is never easy and won 3-0. And at the same time, these games, you could could argue that possibly they don't mean very much. Um, it's hugely unlikely that we're going to catch um, the league leaders at the moment. And Motherwell and Hearts maybe didn't have a lot to play for. But from them performances, um, Andy, is it possible um, to to gain anything from them um, in terms of building for next season and, and the expectations of the five last games? Have we an opportunity to put markers down? Okay, no doubt. I think even for confidence for the players that that month of
1: March must just have shattered them, um, and they have. have responded absolutely brilliantly. That first half an hour, I, I did the hearts game um, for for the club um, for Rangers TV, and it was it was the best thirty minutes I've seen at Ibrox. All season, probably the best thirty minutes of football and the style and the way in which they played, um, and it just seemed to click. I, I loved see, seeing Steve Davis back in there for obvious reasons, and I think he'll be there next season. Um, I loved seeing Scott Arfield playing a more advanced role, and then we see it again there on Sunday um, when he when he when he gets his hat trick, and there were just little signs of things that you were thinking: this team is only one or two real signings away, one or two key positions, I think, away from. From being a far better team again next season and um, because they haven't they've been good this season and they've been, they've been patchy, their form has been patchy and I think you just need a couple of key members. I think a center half is is probably that the most key um you know in terms of getting a real strong center back pairing, whichever it might be um and I think the club's really really close and they've, they've proved that in those last two games yeah, you're right you know the games might have mattered as much, but um that's the way it is whenever you're playing well and you're on form. You feel you feel like that. You feel like games are easy, and, and that's how it's looking at the minute in those last couple of games, anyway. Um, so it's good signs for next season.
0: Chris, obviously, five games left, and fifteen points um, to play for. Um, Andy's obviously touched on it there. In terms of 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 next season, we've we've seen a subtle change in formation and style from Stephen Gerrard. We were very rigid at four three three. Um, wingers one up front, but in the last couple of games, it, it seems to actually have been sparked by Morelos being sent off um, at Celtic Park. We've changed in in that the two wide men who predominantly stayed at wide have, have really come in and in plainly like old fashioned inside forwards. Do you think? And also we'll touch on this with, with players that we we know are coming in and like some Middleton now playing as a striker for the reserves and that. Do you see this is? has been a subtle
2: long-term change for Rangers funny how circumstances can sometimes dictate how managers need to change things or try things I say if Morelos hadn't uh, get sent off at Parkhead if Ryan Kent hadn't been suspended after the Parkhead game Rangers would probably have stuck with the, the same line-up the same system uh, that's maybe one of the criticisms you could make it Gerard. that they have been fairly, not rigid in terms of how Warburton and that used to do it but they've been fairly set in that in 4 that full c system and they've not changed it that often. But they've not really had the, the personality to, to change it that often. Um, certainly not to come in and make the kind of impact that if you take Kent out of it or you take Amelis out of it, the players haven't really been there to come in and if they perform at the required level. I think the when they went to First Park earlier on the season, they obviously tried to the 3 the fact that they didn't win that day, I don't know if that changed Stephen's opinions on where the system worked or because if they didn't win that day, that kind of thought, well, that didn't work, we can't try it again. I still think that's probably not that bad a system for Rangers to play because it allows them to get two strikers on the team. If you look at Tavernier and Barisic, if they're still going to be a full backs next season, it should get the best out of them in an attacking sense as well. I think over the course of the season, Rangers could have been slightly more flexible in terms of the approach and, and the tactics, but it comes down to the players that the manager's got available and who he, who he can play. We take into account suspensions and injuries. There's maybe not been that many occasions where they could have changed it and really got it to work, but the last couple of games... Certainly been interested in seeing Scott Arfield play slightly more offensive. Um, I said after the muddle game that I thought he should probably have scored more goals than he has done this season. Uh, Stephen always speaks quite highly of Scott in terms of the numbers that he provides in the in the final third, but I think Arfield now are for the season. He could easily have been sitting an extra 6-7-8 on top of that because he does get himself into good positions. Uh, and with the amount of he, attacking burden that's been placed on him, if you like, at various stages of the season I think he could have contributed even more than he has done um, but it's interesting that they have changed it slightly um, and like Andy was said, I think the next five games are a chance to really see how that works um, and then we'll see how that manifests itself into how they start next season as well I'll put this question to, to both of you but we'll come to
0: Andy first Andy, do you think this season will go down as a, a chance missed? Or is it a vital learning curve in terms of, of what Stephen Gerrard would have, would have learned from not only his team, but expectations, the league itself and, and other things involved with being Rangers manager?
1: If you can rewind back to the 29th of December, then, then it's a chance missed. Because to be, to be right up there, to have got that monkey off off their back um, and to be, there's so much positivity. And, 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 and I genuinely thought they would go on and win the league. I really did um especially when 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 obviously they lost you know lost their manager and, and things i like guess you're thinking sh- Everton's just kind of coming in the in the line here but it wasn't to be so yeah it's a missed opportunity um but i imagine Stephen Jarrett has learned you got to remember he's a young manager as well um i've been so impressed with what i've seen and heard from him and i think the the biggest thing for me is that now he's had one year i think this has been the best year in scottish Scottish Premiership has been the best entertainment. Okay, there's been a load of nonsense, um, which personally I don't like to see too much of, but at the same time it's it must be getting the numbers in. I don't know what the T V numbers are and the in the radio and whatever else, but people are talking about this league now. And I think with the amount of games that we have on TV, it's a I I would like to think that that Stephen Gerrard will have the pulling power next season to bring in two, three, four. Like the likes of Ryan Kent who comes from nowhere and takes the takes the takes the team by by storm, um, more more laterally anyway. And I'd like to think with with Stephen Gerrard being the man at the helm that Rangers have that pulling power now. They haven't had such a an entertaining year, although it's not been successful as as we all expect. But it's been entertaining, and there's been a lot of um, even for the likes of Ryan Kent now he, he, he has added his value considerably just by coming up here. I'm playing at this level and playing in front of this many fans and um, in in these high stakes games. So I fully expect some big signings next season to to boost the team um, and 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 hopefully it's just been a learning curve for Stephen Gerrard.
0: Chris, what about you, mate? How do you feel? Is it a chance missed or a or a vital learning curve, or is it both?
2: I think it's both. I think if you look at what the manager will have learned, not just about the the players, but about Scottish football, about life at Rangers, and more so about himself, and he's. His staff, I think, it'll be a hugely important uh, few months for Stephen. Um, in terms of it being an opportunity missed, if he had said at the start of the season, Celtic would miss out on the Champions League, they would sell most of their belly, and then halfway through the year they would lose Brendan Rodgers. You would think, well, Rangers should be right in the chance of the title. If they're then level in points going into international, oh, going into winter break sorry, and the sign Steve Davis and the sign Jermaine Defoe, Arbery would have been not really fancying Rangers' chances. The fact that that hasn't happened, I'm sure, will really frustrate the manager, the players, the board, and certainly all the fans. I think it's a real opportunity missed for Rangers to put sustained pressure on Celtic, and that's something that they've not really felt in the last couple of years, when Aberdeen have been the, the kind of best of the rest, and Aberdeen haven't really put any kind of challenge to them. Rangers had a chance that season, even if they didn't win the league, to take it to the last... Two, three games, and really then see how that's what the Celtic players react. The fact that they haven't and kind of let Celtic off the hook a wee bit because Celtic, I don't think, have been anywhere near the the levels that they have been in the last couple of years. But they've still been the best team, and if they're going to win the table, and nobody can argue with how successful and dominant they've been. Uh, I think Rangers really need to look at this season and think like we we could have, should have, and could easily have done better. Um, and as I said earlier, the fact that they haven't won any silverware. I don't think you can say the season's a failure, but it's certainly not be a success in that regard. I think both of you make really valid points. For me, as a season ticket holder, leaving
0: on the 29th, Ibrox was, was unbelievable. The, the spirit, the, the atmosphere, and just walking down the steps after the game, it was absolutely incredible. I think there was a genuine belief. But at the same time, I think that belief not only in the fan base, but possibly on the squad, disappeared slightly when the very first game they came back and suffered a really bad defeat at Kilmarnock. I I tend to think that if we had come back strongly and got momentum further, that might have carried us through. But there's also a part of me that thinks as well that, Andy obviously talked about this before when we got to March and and Chris, you've mentioned it. I just think that some of these guys, like Conor Goldson and that, they've never played 50 games before in a season. Um, and watching guys like Daniel Candace, I think these guys are just generally running on empty. Um, and obviously, there's been there's, we've, we've had bad injuries and we haven't been able to rotate as much. And maybe he hasn't rotated as much as he should, arguably. But I, I tend to think that it's been a, a really valid learning curve. And I suppose it's easy to say that we would take this if he can respond and learn and not make the same mistakes like next year. I mean, I think Steven Gerrard's done a really, really good job being let down slightly by, by the Cups and things. But it brings us on, Chris, going forward now towards the end of the season and with the summer, what do Rangers need? What do we need to do now to, to bridge that gap and to properly make us up there consistently challenging in terms of money to spend? and in terms of, of how many players and, and what positions we need to get in.
2: There's always a lot I can focus on how much money or how little money Rangers, Rangers spend from fans, media, pundits, whatever. When it comes to this summer, I don't think it's uh, as much about how much money they spend as how well they spend it. I think if you look at the, the spend that the board have sanctioned uh, since they came in a, a couple of years ago, they can't be accused of never in their managers. They can be accused of allowing those managers to spend money badly. Uh, if you look at some of the signings that Warburton made, certainly the signings that Kashinya made, and even some of the signings that uh, Stephen made last summer, uh, a lot of the money hasn't been spent that wisely. If you are shopping in the £2-3-4 million uh, range, not every signing you make is going to be a good one. If you're relying on Premier League loan guys, for every Ryan Kent you get an Ovi Adjaria, if you're looking at free transfers, there's there's no guarantee that guys are going to come in and, and hit the ground running. I think there's a lot of pressure on Stephen and and Mark Allen this summer that if they do go and spend a couple of million pounds on a few players and they bring in seven or eight maybe, out of those seven or eight, six have to be real success stories come the end of the season. Whereas if you look at the fourteen, fifteen 15 that they've brought in, the actual strike rate I don't think is that impressive so far. There have some that have been really good. You can see they've, they've earned their place, they have, they've justified their fees. Others certainly haven't and honestly some didn't come anywhere near justifying the outlay and, and the faith that was put in them. So I think it's a, it's a big summer for the manager. Uh, he obviously knows what uh, positions need strengthened he'll uh, also have his list of targets and Rangers have made quite good progress early on kind of, kind of working their way through it, um, I think it, it's more about spending whatever money they do spend wisely, so if they do spend 10 to a million, whatever it's going to be those those guys that come in, those, those guys that are bought really need to have the kind of impact that the manager thinks that they can do you, 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 you can't afford guys to come in and be 5-6 out of 10 next season, you need all these guys to come in and be 7-8 out, out, out of 10, if Rangers are going to uh, win the league or win a bit of silverware. Andy, for
0: you, without without obviously putting you on the spot and, and naming names of actual players, how much do you think the manager needs and what positions, obviously you touched on centre-back as, as being your key number one position, but where else do you think we need to strengthen?
1: Yeah, I think it depends. Um, a lot depends really on, on the likes of, you know, does Ryan Kent Sign to try and can't stay stay um, or sorry sign to the club basically. Um, that's one key position. I think that that white those white areas uh, the likes of Jamie Murphy obviously coming back from his knee injury horrific knee injury and and he was he's been a massive loss for me. I think he was um, you know he had the potential to kind of have the R fields. He's got that real experience down in England. A Rangers man. Um, Loads of experience, as I say, and, and and a really direct and effective kind of player. And those the, the likes of Jamie Murphy, Scott Rafferty, those are the players that Rangers need, I think. And the boys that know what it's all about. And and I think he's been a massive loss. Jordan Jones will come in as well in those wider areas. But um, yeah, so it's, uh, I think depending on you look at the wider areas, you've got Candace Murphy, Jones, Gresda but you know he hasn't quite quite done maybe as well as he would have liked. So. I could maybe see another wide player um, if, uh, if 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 Mr. Davis is here next season then I think he's a brilliant addition along with um, Kamara um, Ryan Jack who's been outstanding Ross McCrory who's starting to come you know starting to kind of force his way in there um, I don't know. I, I, I think it really depends who goes out. But but right now, I think the the, the, the main position is centre half. Uh, there's been a lot of there's there's basically four centre halves, wasn't there this season? There were different partnerships, and really we haven't got a first choice partnership. I would say um, as we speak. So for me, it's it's a centre half, and it's it's go and spend a bit of money on a really proven centre half, another Conor Goldson type, because I think he's probably the number one centre half at the club right now. Um, and then, and then, and then maybe a wider player, um, and obviously looking looking in the forward areas with 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 what happens with Alfredo Morelos and um, maybe just another another option. Kyle Lafferty hasn't quite done it so far, um, but it all just depends really on on what clubs, what what, what players go, and what level of interest uh, Stephen Gerrard has in his own players.
0: So we're going to talk now about what we know and and what we maybe thinks happening. And this will be really where Chris we can kind of tap into your expertise in the media field. Um, we know Jordan Jones is done. Um, we we we've had strong rumours that that Greg Stewart has has either signed a three year deal or or is close to signing a, a three year deal. Um, and also, it looks it looks highly likely at this moment that the Jake Hastie deal from Motherwell is is back on after the club um, walked away a few weeks ago with the likes of of Hastie and 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 Stewart coming in. And it's worth saying if it does happen, because obviously it's never done until it's done, as you'll know more than, than anybody in, in my experience, of even just doing the blog the, the last eighteen months or so that. Some things can can be done right up until the very last minute. With these guys coming in, they're obviously going to be the the, the squad players. What what do you think? And these guys bring bring to the team, and and will they? How much involvement do you see them getting if it transpires?
2: I think the the reaction that we've seen for the fans over the last few weeks, I think they're quite underwhelmed by the by the targets so far. But I think that the way that Stephen and Mark Allen are doing it basically beefing up the squad before you then try and get... You're not going to go and get £4 million players at this stage of the season because £4 million players don't want to move at this stage of the season. There's also a lot of time left before before they're on the move, even in terms of getting another loan deal for Ryan Kent. That might be one that Rangers might have to to wait a wee bit uh, on um, when he and Liverpool consider all the options that they've got. So I think getting the likes of Kamara in in January, getting Jones tied up, Getting the hasty as as looks likely, getting Greg Stewart as we think is done, and even if, if they go in for a uh, a move for John Suter, all these ones give Rangers squad players give Rangers a bit of a uh, uh, depth in the in the pool, and, uh, and then allows them to focus on getting the more high profile deals over the line come the uh, coming the start of pre season, and then as the as the European campaign unfolds, there will be the natural evolution of this squad Now there will be guys that move on you might as and such thing Kel after there you might find that Kel moves on you might find that Gresda moves on Barisic perhaps you'll get know, guys like Gareth McCauley might move on they might look to move on Graham Dorrans who's also not featured very much so there, there will be guys as every season there will be guys that naturally can drop out the bottom of the squad and these guys can't just be forgotten about because the squad does have to have a certain depth through it as Rangers have found over the course of this season if you have injuries and suspensions, you need to have players there that can come in and, and do that. So while like Sir Jones and Hasty and Shuart might not be headline grabbing names, these guys over the course of a season should still have a part to play. Now how how big a part that turns out being will depend on not only their form, but the form of whoever else comes in. Um but I think it's important that Rangers do have do have options and I can see why they're why they are going down this route of getting the kind of trident thrusty. Premiership players and Get these guys in early Get those deals done And that then allows you To focus on On the bigger deals The more the headline grabbing deals That might get uh, Might grab more Backpage headlines And certainly Excite the fans a bit more We'll touch on Some of the, the big names that,
0: that have been Certainly rumoured In just a minute But Andy I want to ask yourself On Jordan Jones you, You'll probably know Jordan Jones much better than most of us, um, being a fellow countryman, you've maybe seen him a lot more for Northern Ireland and things like that. There hasn't been a lot of enthusiasm for Jordan Jones coming to Rangers. Where do you think he's going to play and what, what do you think he's going to bring to the club in terms of what we might not have at the moment? I think it's
1: really, really difficult to say. and If we knew, if we were able to to give that answer, um, we'd all be top managers. Um, we'd all be able to see a See a player, see their strengths, see see their qualities, and see if they're good enough. And 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 you'd need a crystal ball to know whether Jordan Jones can handle being a Rangers player, whether he can handle the pressure at Ibrox in front of fifty thousand. He he might not even know that if 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 he is. I think he's a very confident fella. I don't know him overly well. I played against him at the start of the season for Dumbarton. and um, he's certainly a very very confident player. Um, but it's it's <laughs> it's easy to do it you know, for, for Kilmarnock in the League Cup group stages down at Dumbarton. Um it's it's not easy to do it at Ibrox in an old firm or at Ibrox in a in a big European match or in a game where you're 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 one 0 down and the fans are on your back and, and that's the making of a, every single Rangers player for me, if if they can handle that mental side of the game. So it's it's really, really difficult to tell. But I think his raw ability, his pace, um he gets in amongst the goals a bit um, but I think he'll know himself if he wants to go to Rangers and, and, and get a starting jersey ahead of the likes of Ryan Kent if he's going to be there Jamie Murphy um, you know those kind of players you, know, you touch on Greg Stewart even from a wider area too you know there's going to be a competition between those boys to, to and, and you have to affect games as wingers in a, in a Rangers team you have to create you have to score uh, he, he knows he has to do that and having that competition for places is is the most important thing because you'll bring the best out of them all, hopefully.
0: In terms of those big names and, and those marquee signings, with it with the summer coming up, to, to touch on some of the things we've discussed already, um from my understanding and, and from what I'm led to believe that Stephen Gerrard is craving those marquee signings, um, those those big name signings. One of the names that's, that's been flung about, and obviously there's there's wild speculation, and this is wild speculation, but one of the names obviously that's been discussed is Danny Welbeck. Um, in terms of, the, it's a name that's been put to Rangers, and obviously there's a link to Welbeck. Um, really good friends with Defoe, the same agent. He, he knows Steven Gerrard well. Whilst that may be utterly mental speculation, Chris, Is it possible for Rangers to to be able to attract that sort of name? And do you expect, um, without putting you on the spot, and it's probably fair to say that I won't go and say I do expect marquee signings this summer, but what do you expect in terms of of, of name-wise? Is it possible to attract
2: guys like that and make these marquee signs that Gerard might want? I think names like that are only possible because of the manager, eh, not because of the budget that Rangers have to play with or the attractiveness of, of playing in Europe or even eh, the attractiveness of playing for Rangers. The, the only the only reason you have Jermaine Defoe, for example, is because Steven Gerrard is the manager. Eh, if if Gerrard wasn't Rangers manager, Defoe wouldn't be a Rangers striker. So it's hard to rule anything out in terms of bigger names or marquee names, as we've so if there'd be plenty of rumours doing the rounds and there's ones you think no, no chance if you'd said to me eh, 18 months ago Stephen Gerrard would be Rangers manager and Jermaine Defoe be playing up front I wouldn't have believed you um, but a similar thing when we heard that Joey Barton was potentially signing for Rangers we all thought there's no chance of that and then that one also came off as well so I don't think you could ever rule anything out um, but when it comes to these type of guys Wages are the are the major stumbling block, and it all comes down to all comes down to finance. Um, Rangers won't break the bank just to get a name, uh, but if there's a player there that fits the fits the wage structure and that Gerard can convince the board that it's worth going for, as I said earlier, the board can't be can't be accused of of not backing their man. Um, they will there will be money there for him to spend, and if he decides that spending a large chunk of that on somebody that he knows that the fans might see as a marquee I think they, they could do it um, but they won't do it just for the sake of it I think the, the days of making a, like a statement signing that we might have seen in, in previous years of getting somebody in to, to sell shots or getting somebody in because it excites the fans that's not going to happen anybody that comes in has to come in because they can make an impact in the squad in the team and hope as a as manager we hope take Rangers uh, back to where he needs them to be. Andy, having been in, in
0: the dressing room and, and played for the club and things like that, Rangers are, are, are more or less at a crossroads in many ways when it comes to guys like Alfredo Morelos and possibly James Tavernier, even Ryan Jack, who we know is getting interest from Southampton and down south. For yourself, how would you deal with Rangers possibly cashing in on one of these guys and and using that money to to spend in other areas of the team, is it something that we just need to accept in terms of um, the club model always has to be of to buy low and then sell on high and hopefully reinvest? And do you see those kind of things happening in the summer or would possibly like Morelos in Tavany and maybe even Ryan Jack. Yeah, well, the, the, just those
1: three names you've, you've mentioned, Alfredo Morelos. If the price is right, then then I think Rangers have to accept that there's there's clubs in England who can who can afford it, and and, and they can afford a player like More, Alfredo Morelos, and it would be an unbelievably um, smart piece of piece of business for Rangers to sell them for the figures. You know, I personally, 15, 15 million minimum is where I my own thoughts on it. Um, I think. To be honest, if you don't get that kind of money or, or close to it, to get a player, despite all the negatives and the, 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 the frustrating bits about him and the bits that he's let himself down this season, to get a player who scored twenty nine goals, um, he is just—it's just worth so much to, to get a player who can score goals in this league. Is—is um, is, if you have any ambition to go and win a league, I think you need to keep a hold of that that man. Um, work with him as Steven Gerrard keeps touching on he keeps working on him. he keeps giving him love keeps believing in him so I'd love to see, see him stay unless the price is absolutely top dollar and, and it makes sense and James Tavernier I, I, I love him to bits I think he's an absolutely superb professional he he, he just turns out week in week out he's, he, he pitches in with goals he's he's improved in an awful lot of other aspects of his game and he's a great captain and a different type of captain but he's a He's a leader, definitely. Um, so I'd love to see him stay. But again, you know, he's a right back, so I'm guessing the fee mightn't be quite as high. So try and try and keep a hold of him where possible. Um, Ryan Jack, probably my my player of the season, um, outside of Fred Fredo due to his goals. So I can I can understand the interest, but Rangers need to in my opinion, I think Chris is bang on that. I don't see a statement signing. Um, I could see a statement sell where they get an awful lot of money for one of those, one of those two, one of those three you've named. But I think that money then needs to go into wages because I think we do have a man at the top of the club, leading the club, and Stephen Jarrod who can who can do get a few favors, who can get a really really top name like like um, like Danny Welbeck. Personally, I see low I see loan signings though. I see players who are on massive wages down south and big big players. Coming and, and and I can see, you know, Rangers paying a good portion of their wages, um, and as long as they are the right types of characters who, who come here and they give it their all, um, I think that's the important thing. It has to be the right type of character. It can't just be somebody who wants to come and see what this what this amazing club's all about, but not really be fully committed and giving their everything. They have to come here and want to make a make an impact. And um, so yeah, I mean, if, if if it means selling in order to get that money to afford two, three big, big players and a, a, a big chunk of their wages, then, then personally, I'd be all for that.
0: Chris, coming back to you um, a wee bit more, obviously you, um, in, your, in your role um, as Senior Writer at, at obviously the Evening Times and the Herald, you, you will deal with 100 messages a day with, with linked names and only 99 of them are from me. Where, do you, where are you on, on guys like Graham Shinney, Nick Powell, John Souter, is there any solid interest in these guys? I mean, Shinny's been on and off, we seen him at Derby the other day, we can, I think we can kind of rule that, it's been not done, but in terms of the likes of John Souter and the likes of Nick Powell at Wigan, where are you in terms of, of, is there any solid
2: interest from Rangers? Graham Shinny, I think we can not all but rule out, I would never rule anything completely in or out, but I think Shinny now probably more likely to, to head down south. Um, the word a few weeks ago and Graham was that having seen how Ryan Jack's move from Aberdeen to Rangers went down that that might not appeal to him and he might not think it's worth okay, the the hassle uh, I think if you look at where Graham is now in terms of his career and his age a move to Derby is probably a more appealing one fin- certainly financially um, than it is to go to Rangers and a chance to go and try something a bit different so I'd be surprised now to see Graeme at Rangers next year. Uh, John Shooter, I wouldn't be surprised to see if Rangers can get a deal done with Hearts. That'll probably come down to money. Um, as Rangers have found out in the last couple of years, dealing with Hearts isn't always the most straightforward. When they're trying to get the Jamie Walker deal over the line, trying to get Kel Lafferty signed last summer, uh, those deals did drag on a wee bit, and also in the, in the Walker case, it, it didn't happen at all eventually. Um, Shooter, I think, fits the bill for Rangers in terms of being a a more modern style centre half, if you like, in terms of being able to play it from the back. I think him and Goulston could complement each other quite well. Um, And if you're looking at somewhere between £1.5 million, I think for a guy that's been capped for Scotland, that's got a lot of premiership experience, that's the type of guy that Rangers should be looking at. And at that financial outlay, if he does do well, he then fits the model of buy, Relatively low and sell relatively high. Like he's the type of guy that you could see going down south in a couple of years for a lot more than what it would cost Rangers to buy him from Hearts. Uh, Nick Powell, a name that's been doing the rounds for a while. Again, I think he fits the bill. The type of player that would fit into that Rangers team, um, where it's at in terms of actually getting a deal done over the line. Not quite sure at the moment, but I can see why there would be interest from from Rangers there. Um, and as I said over the course of the next not even at the end of this season, and there's already plenty of uh, transfer rumours doing so. There's, there's going to be plenty more uh, between now and the now and the uh, pre season starting, and plenty more between now and the, and the window actually closing. So, I, I don't think, as you were saying earlier on, Stevie, I don't think we'll see as big a, a turnover in terms of the number of players coming in or out. Uh, but I still think it will be fairly substantial, so there will be plenty of names doing the round uh, and a, a fair bit of interest and not just the likes of Morelos and Tavernier and potentially Jack and Arfield but again some of the you know, squad players further down the, the, all the Range, I th- th- think there will be a, a fair bit of movement both in and out
0: That kind of takes us with, with covering all that and the, the signings and obviously I, I think it's going to be an exciting summer with, with a guy like Steven Gerrard you're always going to get those big names and there's always going to be the speculation and there's going to be the wild names I mean, I mean last summer just for example, we had the Defoe rumour last summer, we had um, Lucas Lever rumour, we had the, the huge Martin Skirtle rumour, um, which ironically is, is is reappearing as he's available on a free transfer and things. So that, that takes is probably to cover most of the things that's going on. But just finally, guys, just to ask you, so the last, last five games in terms of points and, and things like that, obviously we all want 15 points or we want, we want five wins, but... What, in terms, what do Rangers need to do in terms of uh, to get a strong finish, to get the momentum, to get the positivity um, in terms of performances and, and, and things like that? Is it, are, we haven't shown signs of winning the last five games. Is it possibly too much to expect that? So realistically, what do you see us doing um, in the last five games? And ask Andy for yourself. Obviously, you've been addressing, you know what it's like. The target will obviously be five wins, but realistically looking at it now, where do you think we we will be come the season end? Secure second, first of all,
1: as players, just just get that second second secured, and then really for for Stephen Gerrard and for the players, it's a free hit. I mean, continue the form that they've shown the last two games because it's been a brilliant response to a really really disappointing Sunday um, that we had across the city, and um, you know, I, I think if, if if they can continue that form, but from a from a player's point of view, these last five games might have a a, a big a big big say in whether you're here next season. You know, as a player, this is me speaking. Like I'm a player, I'm going to be thinking, I need to perform these last five games if I want to still be here. Um, and sometimes you see it. You know, you see whether boys really do want to be here. There's a few players, obviously on loan, up from England or from wherever else. Um, a couple of signings who've come in and haven't quite had the effect that they. That they maybe should have or could have. Um, this is when you see if 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 they really want to be here, and they'll they'll, they'll show it in training, um, and they'll show it the, on the pitch if they do, and if they don't, well then that's you know the writing's on the wall, and Stephen Jared will sniff that out, and so it's a great, it's in a way it's a it's a free hit for Stephen Jared five games. Um, clearly want to to give the fans something to to celebrate. Clearly want to put on performances, but for him. This is a, a great opportunity to just wean out the squad who he doesn't want, who he doesn't think are capable, who he doesn't think are up for it, um, and also experiment a little bit as we've seen with the formation and players playing in slightly different roles and experiment a little bit so that you know he knows what what he needs to do for next season.
0: Chris, just for yourself, five games left, point maximum points available. What do you expect from us in the running?
2: I wrote a piece for a. Uh, even times on Wednesday, basically looking at the next five games for Rangers and looking at their, their record against the, the top six teams this season, and it doesn't make that great reading for Stephen Gerrard, obviously. Three wins against Hearts is, is a good form, but you look at the record against Hibs, the record against Hibbs, the record against, uh, Kelly, and the record against Aberdeen, and the Rangers haven't won enough of those games to, to be considered you know, title challengers. The, the old fun games kind of take care of themselves and the, you know, the six points lost against Celtic make up half the deficit if you like in the in the Premiership but not not winning as many games against Kelly Aberdeen and Hibs must be a real frustration for Stephen Gerrard especially when the Rangers haven't really been outplayed or dominated and they've not been well beaten in any of those games but they've not managed to turn the narrow uh, defeats into wins not managed to turn the draws into wins so I think that's the biggest objective between now and the end of the season of course he would love 15 points but I think he has to prove that he can beat Aberdeen, uh, beat Kelly, beat Hibs, also go to Tynecastle on on Saturday, uh, and see how they do through their against Hearts after their uh, Scottish Cup exergens at the weekend. Um, And also the Old fun game takes care of itself. The the Old Firm game doesn't mean anything in terms of the league of the title race. Um, But again, it's a really big one for him in terms of building a wee bit of momentum for next season and and proving that the the Highbrookers game wasn't a, a fluke or a one-off. Now, people, Andy touched on it earlier on, when teams play Rangers, they automatically get a lift and you see eh, like eh, Premiership teams getting a lift when they play Rangers or Celtic and that's how they can then pull off a shock. Rangers need to prove that they just weren't a Premiership team getting a lift when they, when they played a big game and prove that the whole firm game wasn't just a one-off that they can put together a sustained run when it comes to playing big games. No, it's fine it's fine beating your, your St Johnsons at and uh going and beating at a Dundee or a St. Mern. But leagues are won by winning big games and over the course of the season Rangers haven't done enough in those big games against the more traditional rivals if you like to, to prove that they can uh, be serious uh, title contenders and title challengers and that's why that's why they won't win the league. So I think that's the main objective for Stephen over the next couple of weeks, to prove that they, they can go and win these games. Um, I think that will give not just him and the players, but certainly the fans a bit of a bit more belief and a bit more confidence heading into uh, next season.
0: So that's it for our first ever Four Lads of the Dream podcast. Um, a massive thank you to Jerzny, um Stuart and Graham who have given up their time tonight uh, to help us do this and to also offer us a platform. Um, the platform pod is available on Acast, iTunes, YouTube, Castwatch, Stitcher, all the kind of platforms on the Jersey. It'll be available and I hope you've enjoyed it. This is going to be a monthly thing for the Four Lads of a Dream um, podcast and I just want to take a minute to thank everyone um, for their support since we started it. Um, it's been phenomenal and it just proves that there's nothing better than discussing our club. We are the, the greatest club in the world in my opinion and we uh, we will be Rightfully back where we belong. A massive thank you to my two guests, um, Chris Jack. You can read um, Chris's columns um, on a daily basis on the Evening Times and in the Herald. And also a massive thank you to the Evening Times team for for allowing Chris to come on. And Chris is going to be with us on a monthly basis as, as a regular guest. And a huge get a huge thank you also to Andy Little for giving up his spare time coming on his, his, his discussion about his time at Rangers and. Um, the things that he went through, and the goals, and the highs and lows, was absolutely fantastic. To be able to have these guys on is brilliant, and we hope to bring you some more um, ex Rangers players from the past. We've got Derek Parlane coming on our, our next show as a as a winner of the uh, 1972 in Barcelona, and everything. That's that's a huge um, excitement for all of us here. So we're looking forward to that. But until then, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Ignore the nonsense, the irrelevant, and the noise.